The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! Shift. The shift has been nuts. The Oof. customers out there, they keep asking for food and drink and... Food and drink, yeah. Uh, I, I, I brought them peanuts. And it, can I tell you, I brought them peanuts. They took them and they threw them in my face and said, you're not worthy. What does that even mean? I, well, it means you're not worthy of... Well, I get that. Like I guess of literally. their peanut allergy that I probably should have warned you about. Their hand did swell to comical proportions. <laughs> but I just, I keep refilling this water over and over. But you seem to not be as busy. I need a, I need a mental break, Paul. I need a mental break. Would you be able to cover me? <laughs> oh, oh, that's what it is. I wasn't sure what was happening there, but I, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll cover. Yeah, I'll tell you, it would be my dream to cover you. Oh, thank you. Uh, I don't know why you would say that. These these people are awful with their peanuts. We are the the specialized downtown Manhattan restaurant. Peanut, peanut, and peanuts. <laughs> Just we peanut. Speci- Oops, all peanuts. <laughs> <laughs> We're known for, of all things, uh, our boysenberries. Hi, everybody. Hello. This has been Hello. another hilarious skit. Done by your friends and ours, the Third Men <laughs> Podcast, yeah. your local Jack White history podcast, where we go over Jack White history and Third Men records and assorted bands and other stuff. And I'm your co-host, James Kaminsky. I'm your other co-host, Paul Kaminsky. And James, we've done a lot of fun things this season so far. We've done extended interviews with rock stars such mm. as Pat Pentano and Co Molina and Ben Blackwell. Yes. And we've also done a lot of research-heavy episodes. We did the Year in Review episode. We did the Dead Weather, a Sea of Cowards album analysis and review. We did mm. just a lot of analysis. And so, James, sometimes on this show, we do sort of like fun topics. Like, sometimes 
sometimes we just have fun. Yeah, <laughs> me and you just like to crack open a few cold ones and just let yeah. loose, you know? Really dip our hands in the peanut bowl. So yeah, James, we got a fun one today, and I'm pretty excited about this one because when you told me this topic, I thought, James, you're a madman. Yes, I'm a madman, and I'm here to tell you I'm insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we've done a lot of different things concerning covers in our time here at the Third Men Podcast. We've done an episode about the, some of the different covers of White Stripes songs. It's mm-hmm. called Covering the White Stripes, Volume 1, which we still have to do Volume 2. We've done some of our favorite live covers that Jack's ever done. And I think we've got another special covers episode this week. Do you want to, what do we got? What do we got, James? Well, I figured we'd take a little little dive into Jack White's cover aesthetic as well as coming up with our own cover album if jack white were to do a cover album what would be our fantasy picks yeah for a cover album now this yeah is not to say what songs has jack white covered that we would put on an album no this is to say theoretically if jack white were to do a fresh cover album what would he pick and i figured it'd be a little fun little experiment and i pulled the audience a little bit out Whoa. there to get some of their stuff yeah and yeah me and paul came up with a little a little cover album yeah i've got three picks here that i'm pretty excited to share with everybody yeah and i've got picks and then many many songs that i think could also work as well oh, man i didn't uh, as well that. as a little history into jack white's covers that he has actually done so that you get a little history with your uh, game show Fantastic. I'm very much looking forward to this topic, and uh, we've also got another great third man segment for the ending here. But before we get to all of that, James. Is there something we should... No. Is there something... No. I knew you weren't going to get it on the first two, so I decided to skip to the third one. Oh, great. Sometimes we apologize for things. Oh, oh, right. Well, there's something we should... Uh, is there something we should apologize for, Paul? We're sorry. They're annoying as hell, in fact. Sorry. We're sorry. Keep my little shell intact. This segment of the show is called Annoying as Hell, in fact. And it's Mm. when we apologize for something strange or wrong or something that we've done on the show. And I think this one wins the vote. Uh, by unanimous audience feedback. This pertains, James, to our episode 90 extended interview with one Mr. Pat Pantano, uh, wherein Mr. Pantano, who photographed the both the front and the back and inside covers of the White Stripes album White Blood Cells, went on to tell us that the back cover is uh, Jack and Meg walking over a stream in the woods. Mm-hmm. And we told Mr. Pantano that we had no idea that that's what they were doing on that back cover. And honestly, James, I think we were being kind of stupid. I'm always a little stupid. Or at least that's what our listeners would tell us. Because (laughs) we heard a lot of comments to the effect of, how could you guys not know that? That seems a little crazy that you didn't know that. Why would you even ask that? There was more than one little bit of feedback we got back on that one so you know what in retrospect yes the back cover of the white stripes i want to say junior album 
white blood cells. In retrospect, it's pretty apparent that he and Meg are walking over a creek. I just think without that context, I just didn't really know it. But I guess in my heart, I knew it this whole time. Okay, I'm here to argue that mm-hmm. it still doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily... Like, because, only because I know what it is now uh-huh. can I uh-huh. see it. Uh-huh. But I, I do still see Jack leading Meg down a hill yeah. into what appears to possibly be some weird cave. Perhaps. Yeah, I've done some real soul searching on this, James, and I'm here to tell you we're being we were being dumbos. <laughs> it's <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready to apologize yet. Well, I I apologize on your behalf. <laughs> we heard it from several people. We heard it from Tam Davis, who has recently gone under a transformation from Cali Durga to Tam Davis. Uh, Tam has made it very clear that. That it was very clear that it was a stream. Uh, we also heard from at Ben Jamson or uh, W A Shane on Twitter, who uh, did say that it was pretty funny that we didn't know it was a river, and he says I thought that was pretty obvious, and uh, I guess he's not wrong. Uh, and there was a few others. I think we got some emails and some direct messages. So, hey, look, guys, James isn't sorry, and i just like to make that abundantly clear, but I am sorry. It's because I'm here to offend in every way. Hey, hey, and that's been annoying as hell, in fact. Sorry. All right, James. Well, this is your topic, so, you know, take me on a journey here. My body is your wonderland. Uh, yeah, Paul, let's let's jump into these, these covers. Cover songs have long had a, uh, a, a warm place in the cockles of Jack White's heart. Uh, yeah, since from the, the very beginning. beginnings. Yeah, yeah. He, he would cover songs from the, the very, very start of his musical career. New covers do keep on popping up. In 1997, a rare recording of Jack White with a, a band called 400 Pounds of Punk came up of him covering oh, Blondie's right. One Way or Another. That's right. I remember that. Yeah, That's good. That was good. I like that one. It, yeah, he did a pretty good job. Um, At the very and, first White Stripe show, he plays Love Potion Number 9. Yes. And the covers uh, are not just, you know, weird B-sides or live stuff. He puts them on on almost every single album with with a couple exceptions uh we'll go through uh some of the the covers he's put on albums thus far for the white stripes on the self-titled album he had stop breaking down which is a robert johnson cover canon wait 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 wait, wait. really well canon had john the revelator okay, which is a okay. Sunhouse cover yes, in the yes, midst yes. of it so right. there's that one more cup of coffee a bob dylan mm-hmm. cover and saint james infirmary blues which is a traditional tune they covered as well um, a lot of covers yeah that's that's Four songs that he technically didn't have writing credits on on mm. the first album. He's pulling from from a lot of covers for that. Uh, it doesn't stop there. On his second album, To Steal, uh, he has Death Letter, which is a Sunhouse cover. Your Southern Can is Mine, which is a Blind Willie McTell cover. And then on one of the singles, you have Jolene, which is a Dolly Parton cover. 
if I may, uh, Death Letter, just as an aside, is the uh, opening, not the White Stripes version, is the opening song of the latest season of True Detective, and every single ah. time I hear Jack, uh, even though he doesn't play on it. Uh, a, a quick word about those early records and Jack covers. You know, we obviously we don't know the man personally, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but he strikes me as the kind of guy that as a young man would have been very excited to put on full display the types of music and media that are perhaps a little on the obscure side uh, as uh, in front of people to, to as a way to perhaps define himself or or define his taste for 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 everyone he, he seems very into the mixtape is jack yes and that I mean, why don't we put a pause on the the album cover songs and go right right into my notes here on uh, why Jack covers songs? Please, um, I think we've all known the guy who loves to give you music, and I think it's maybe have has been you and me, James, this whole time. So I I kind of pinpointed, in my opinion, three reasons as to why Jack covers songs, and obviously these are speculation and not necessarily the textbook reason for it. One reason is comfort. I think mm-hmm. Jack White covering a song can let him play music without the pressure of being held to his previous writings or standards or lack thereof, like in his yes. self-titled. He can just kind of mess around and play something that he enjoys playing or somebody uh, else's music that he enjoys playing. Mm. Um, in Lazaretto, he had some writings that he had done when he was 19, and he was getting frustrated while trying to complete them and put himself in his 19-year-old brain. So the idea of comfort kind of came in there with covering songs. He's, he's quoted as saying, oh my god, I can't imagine sitting down and trying to sing to this song because now it's somebody else's song. I have to pretend it's someone else's, and I have to cover this song and collaborate with them. So the idea of, of collaboration then starts to, to seep in, adding to the work, making something that is uniquely his while also kind of adorning this other work which brings me into my point number two adoration i think jack white covers songs because he wants to give them some form of adoration wanting to shed light on a musical artist that he enjoys like you were saying paul Mm -hmm. and his musical knowledge has gone through transformations as everybody's does throughout the the years he's been recording and his covers tend to reflect his headspace during those kinds of transformations. When he's with the Dead Weather, with Allison and Dean, he might be doing some psychedelic 60s pop. Or oh, yeah. when he's with the White Stripes, he's he's digging with the blues and punk music. And when he's with the Tours, he's delving more into power pop and rock yeah. territories. And with that, he wants to pay homage to, to those territories, his blues obsession specifically his obsession with sunhouse is gritting in your face would lead to all these blues covers he would play yeah. to respect those those bluesmen and try and become a part of their world which leads me to mm-hmm. point number three paul which is yearning i think he yearns to be a part of that musical legacy and he wants yeah. to, occasionally wants to be someone apart from john gillis or jack white i think he wants to be a part of a pantheon paul thoughts yeah. Uh, a couple. You talked about the idea of covering himself. In the, over the course of this show, I think, you know, one of the bits of research I came across was the idea that when the White Stripes recorded a song, Jack felt like it was the White Stripes covering that song. Mm-hmm. I think that's something we've talked about a, a little bit on the show before, but, you know, Jack's the writer. I mean, Meg wasn't 
writing stuff like that. And so when the White Stripes performed it, since Meg was the centerpiece of that band, a lot of the interpretation of his music was coming from what Meg was doing on the drums, and he liked to let her sort of steer that ship and lose the control for a moment. So it very was, it very much was a cover, basically no matter what they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also find it interesting that they, they covered things right up until their, their last album. When you get to a, be an artist of a certain stature, you, you find yourself less likely, I think, to do that. But uh, you mentioned Lazaretto. I mean, not only was he covering his 19-year-old self, but he also tried to cover slash co-write, I think, with Blind Willie McTell on that one, the Three three Women. Yeah, Three, yeah, mo- so, three Women Blues. So that's, a, that's an interesting thing. You very rarely see that in music, at least I very rarely see it, where you've got Jack taking a... It's almost like a sample, actually. Like He's taking a, a song and then writing his own lyrics in in connection to it which in retrospect reminds me a lot of kind of like what he did with the hank williams song that he recorded for that hank williams tribute uh you know that i know where he was given the lyrics and then asked to write music to those lyrics so you know he's played with covers in a lot of dynamic ways that tried to involve the artist uh, over the over the years and I, so i think you're keying into some of that there where you say it's a it's an attempt to pay homage there is an attempt at, at authenticity there it's not as if he's He's trying to steal from the artist. He's trying. I think he's. I think in his heart he's a fan, yeah. and he thinks he thinks like a fan sometimes. And I think that's what we get with some of these things. Uh, the, if you were more cynical, or were I more cynical, I may look at him dwelling on some of these kinds of obscure covers as possibly kind of a hipster move, which is to imply that. It's a braggadocious thing. Like, look at all of this. Look at this song I know that you don't, or whatever. I don't think that's the case. I think I think a lot of hipsters who, you know, maybe heard those first few White, uh, White Stripes albums after they became popular, maybe may, could have misinterpreted it to be that. And I think somebody coming at it from the outside, looking at what Jack does, could interpret it that way. I don't think it is. I think he's just very enthusiastic, and he's bursting with so much uh, creativity from the influences that meant so much to him that to cover those songs, like you said, is a labor of love. It's not some sort of, like, notch on his bedpost kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think he's coming at it more as a curator. He's not lording it over people. He's curating these songs. Yeah. And experiences kind of like just came out with the Led Zeppelin yeah. today. Uh, playlist, I was just going to mention that, which is him curating at the time of this recording today. This came out. Yeah. He uh, he's curating some Led Zeppelin songs uh, for a Spotify playlist. Anybody who knows <laughs> rock and roll knows Zeppelin. And I think or at least Greta Van Fleet <laughs> <laughs> shots fired. But sorry. But he's, sorry, all you grit fans out there. But he's curating a playlist so that you can see Zeppelin through his eyes and his that context the jack white context yeah he's excited he's a fan and he's got a point of view and he's got favorites like if i if i were to compose a paul mccartney playlist as as i have for sometimes for friends unfortunately in the past or what have you you know i'm pulling little lamb dragonfly and get on the right thing and press 
and you know <laughs> paul's really pushing for press come on people you know i'm i'm, I'm pulling from things people would normally listen to because it happens to be the things i enjoy it's not as it's not as if i'm saying hey look at how great i am look at all these paul mccartney songs that i know that you don't it's the same with the jack playlist if i were like i think i composed one for dad when he was just starting to warm up to Jack. I think Lazaretto turned Dad a little bit. It's funny, we'll, we'll talk about this in, in, in a, another show at another time, but just as an aside, the instant Dad drew the parallel between Jack White and Todd Rundgren is the day that <laughs> Dad started to come around to Jack a little bit. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I, I when I was making a playlist for Dad, I included some off things and things you maybe wouldn't have heard before just because that's the kind some of those things were just my entry points so I think so anyway all of that is to say I don't I am not cynical about this I don't think he's being a snobby hipster I think he's actually it's coming from a place of passion and love he's not promoting Dex Romweber to come off as holier than thou he's promoting Dex Romweber because he truly believes everybody should listen to the Flat Duo Jets. True and but I would also say there's a time in everyone's life when they're a teenager or in their very early 20s where I'm sure a little of it crept in there <laughs> I don't know that for sure that is speculation but uh, sure. that would be my guess that would be my guess. Let's let's get back into uh, the album covers so we stopped at the style we have White Blood Cells, which has, uh, there's no album covers on the album proper, but on the single, you have Rated X, a Loretta Lynn mm-hmm. cover. Yep. You the also have Love, to Loretta. You have Love Sick, which is a, a, a live Bob Dylan cover. You have an early live session of I Just Don't Know What to Do With Myself, which is a Burt Bacharach cover. You have Stop Breaking Down, which is Robert Johnson and Jolene again on the Japanese album version. So if you get the Japanese album, uh, it has. Jolene on the the main album, so that's that's another cover that's there. Interesting. Elephant has I just don't know what to do with myself, which is Burt Bacharach, mm-hmm. Hal David. You have Who's to Say as a single track, which is a Dan John Miller tune. Good to me, that's Brenda right. Benson tune, Black Jack Davy, which is a traditional mm-hmm. tune. Uh, Saint Eyes <laughs> of March, which is Soledad Brothers, Johnny Walker, Ben Swank. Get behind me, Satan. You have who album covers proper, but you have Shelter of Your Arms, which is a Greenhorns cover as a single. Man, uh, I totally forget <laughs> about a couple of these, but you're right. Yeah, holy cow. I, I constantly forget about Shelter of Your Arms for some reason. It's on my iTunes. I listen to it regularly. Yeah. I just The fact that we haven't done a Greenhorns show yet is just sloppy on our part. I feel yeah, like... That we're doing this episode before Greenhorns. Episode. I feel like we've been doing a yeah. podcast about the color spectrum for a while and then just never mentioned purple. Yeah, we've, we've done six whole episodes on infrared and never got the purple. <laughs> we've interviewed each... Each of the infrared members. <laughs> Granted, there's a lot of infrared colors, but... The purple ones are above our pay grade. The green horns are the color purple. This is getting is what a, we're saying. Yeah, why are they not green? We don't know. But oh. it's getting a little meta. Yeah, why wouldn't they be green? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're purple. They are the complete opposite color. Right. Uh, Icky Thump. We have Conquest as the album cover. For and a Corky, single, Corky for God's Robbins. Sake. And a, a triple single. Yep. Yeah. And then uh, you have Tennessee Border, which is a Hank Williams cover as a B-side. And then you you have Baby Brother, which is a B-side. And I don't think I talked about this during the Icky Thump We did. Episode. We talked about Baby I, Brother, yeah. But I don't think I talked about that it was a cover. Yeah, what's it, it a, who's it a cover of? It's a cover of Bill Carter and the Roven Gamblers. And let's play a little bit of this song now. My little baby. 
baby brother used to play down on the floor But now he's not satisfied to do it anymore He's got a funny habit and I don't know why He walks around the ceiling now I'm stepping on the flies Baby brother Baby brother He learned to crawl on the kitchen wall Baby brother It's credited with Vern Orr album is recorded by bill carter and the roven gamblers crazy crazy tune wow we move on to the rack and tours broken boy soldiers does not have any covers on the album but the singles you have heading for the texas border by the flaming groovies and it ain't easy which is uh, a cover of ron davies Bowie's famous. one of the people who yeah made, yeah. made famous consolers is a lonely oh uh, well of, wait a minute before we oh, leave sorry. before we leave racks i mean and i was going to bring this up during my covers list but there's two major covers that they perform live during that tour which is crazy by Norris barkley oh yes. and and bang bang my baby shot me down made by, famous by sinatra nancy sinatra nancy sinatra yeah and i mean honestly when i think of that first raconteurs tour i think of i often think of crazy like pretty close because that's an example of something we really hadn't seen with jack before or since a modern song recorded at the time of that song's release like this isn't a song from 20 years ago this isn't a song from the 1930s i don't want to turn into a turkey myself now you're talking this is a song that came out last tuesday and suddenly jack's on stage playing it with his new band like that never happened i don't think it's happened as i say since so anyway before we leave broken boy soldiers era thought i'd point those out but yeah it's it's nuts and of all of the pop songs he went with the most popular one which doesn't seem doesn't seem his mo no it doesn't it's a good song it's really catchy and and they do a really good cover of it all right sing it on this next one if you know the words i know you do Never, never officially released, I don't think, unless it was on one of those live discs, but I don't think it was. Somebody will correct us. Yeah, sure. We're sorry. <laughs> Consolers of the Lonely, obviously, we have our, our third man music, Rich Kid Blues, Oof, uh, which is yeah. Terry Reed. Which I didn't realize was a cover right away, and I think you pointed it out to me later. And the original version sounds almost identical. It's like almost it's... identical. They didn't change anything with that. I have to imagine that was that was not Jack's suggestion. I want to say that's a Brandon influence. I don't know. So we move on to the Dead Weather. Whorehound has New Pony on the album, mm-hmm. which is a Bob Dylan yeah. cover. Singles have Our Friends Electric, which is Gary Newman. Child of a Few Hours is Burning to Death, which is the West Coast Pop Art Experimental Band, which we have gone well in depth into in previous episodes <laughs> and you have outside which is a downliner sect cover and then uh sea of cowards well, well, well oh, bef- sorry. before we leave uh whorehound will there be enough water while it's not a cover 
it's heavily influenced by Dylan. Like when my yeah. ship comes in, it's that song, arguably it, a, a call and response song to that. Yeah, it's very very reminiscent. But as you say, yes, not a cover. But yeah, I want to say like pretty close. I mean, if we're going with influence, I mean the entire that's titles. Yeah, no, that's album is is all influenced by blues stuff that's true sea of cowards first album to not feature any covers at all not even the singles oh well because all the singles all the b-sides were just album cuts right there's one b-side on sea of cowards and it's an album cut uh dodge and burn had like all singles and they were all album cuts and there's no covers on that which is again no covers at all on dodge and burn sea of cowards and dodge and burn exclusively uh, original material although although unless three dollar three dollar hat has elements of there are lyrics that are cribbed from another song that i can't i can google tam pointed out to us on on uh, on an episode one time something stagger staggerly blues uh staggerly blues three dollar hat it's almost uh, three women esque in its weaving of Stackerly Blues with Mrs. Mississippi John Hurt. That's yeah, Mississippi John Hurt. Right. So that, eh, not really. But yeah, I'm gonna wave. I'm waving my hand for those people who can't see at home. I'm. Eh, it's kind of close. Right. And you know what? Put a pin in that for a second. Blunderbuss. We move on to his solo career. Blunderbuss says, "I'm shaken" by Rudy Toomes. That's album. right. And "Love Is Blindness" is a single by Two. Now, was uh, last, that, I don't remember if we covered this, but was Love is Blindness made as a beat? I think it was made for the It was made for soundtrack. the Great Gatsby soundtrack. Yeah, but it, it was, was then utilized, utilized as a B-side of 16 Saltines, I want to say. We'll move on to Lazaretto, Three Women, which is based off of Three Women Blues by Blind Willie McTell, you had mentioned, which is similar to what you were saying with $3 Hat. There's yeah, elements. But, I, but, he, but he gave him the co-write credit right. on three women i don't think i don't know if he gave i don't think he gave mississippi john hurt the co-write on i don't think so either no power of my love is a single off that which is an elvis cover and then you have uh, parallel which is a dean Fertitta solo cover power of my love and parallel that's an a and a b for me i would have bought that oh, as an a and a b it's so good and yeah. that would be the last we'd see really of b-sides proper <laughs> the lazaretto <laughs> stuff <laughs> He's since gone into double A side forty five. So that's another topic. God, I hate that, Jack. If you're listening, B sides are fun. Like you know that. I know that. I know they're like more work, but I don't know. I would take like a rough acoustic cut of some. That's what Margot does on occasion. Should the. I'm just saying, it's nice to have variety. Yeah, and then humoresque uh, on Boarding ah, House yes. Reach mm-hmm. is similar to what again you were saying with three dollar hat. Again, similar to Three Women. It's music by Antonin Vorjak. By, uh, by Antonin Scalia. It yeah, was uh, it was in his jazz singer days. Antonin, I think it's pronounced Dvorak, and uh, his cohort and co-writer, Antonin Scalia. <laughs> they wrote the music to that. Uh, the lyrics were by Howard Johnson, the famous hotel chain. And uh, they were. it was all arranged by Jack White, though, so yeah. it's different... I would say this is less of a cover and more of Jack learning how to sample. Right. Like I think that's what you'd call three women a three dollar hat on some of those examples yeah. we just touched on. They're they're samples really. Yeah. That's what we got as far as album stuff. Paul, he has covered 
so many people though live. Um, oh yeah, he has covered Shocking Blue. That's right. Share what Shocking Blue did he cover? Uh, Shocking Blue, he covered "Send Me a Postcard." What? By Shocking Blue, apparently five times. <laughs> what? Uh, with the Rack and Tours. I have criticized myself for sometimes bringing up too many old episodes in current episodes, but I gotta say, I only found Shocking Blue because Jim Diamond told us about Shocking Blue, <laughs> and then I went out and bought that record store day like two two album set. Love it. It's, it's, yeah. it's a big burst of rock and roll sunshine. These these covers open our me and your minds and horizons to new music, which I think is a one of the best yeah. parts of, of him covering songs is we get a, a yeah. taste of music that we wouldn't normally listen to, such as The Christian Life by the Lovin' Brothers. Oh, the Lovin' Brothers. <laughs> oh, man, I've had their Christmas album in my Amazon pull list for a couple years now. Yeah, Teenage Kicks by the undertones he's covered i mean specifically on the peel show he did that baby blue gene vincent yeah baby blue which he covered when uh, I, I saw him out here in the mayan and your blues from the beatles and mother nature's son lead belly bull weevil bull weevils a cover and that's a signature song for him like we couldn't go a covers episode without talking about bull weevil <laughs> ice isis good night irene take a whiff on me party of special things to do captain beefheart he he's covered that's captain right beefheart. trying to China Pig. Twice with the mm-hmm. Sub Pop record. I forgot to mention those. Yes. I'm Bored by Iggy Pop. The Gun Club. He's covered a few of their songs. For the Love of Ivy was one of them. The Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. He's covered Man. Did he really? Yeah, yeah. Howlin' Wolf. Tegan and Sarah Walking with a Ghost. That's right. Which walking is another with B side I forgot to mention. Oh my How God. How could we forget about Walking with a Ghost? Five, six, seven, eights. I Walk Like Jane Mansfield. So there's, there's a lot. Love Potion yeah. number nine, like you said. TVI by the Stooges. Looking That's at you, right. MC5, the Shantae's Pipeline, Johnny Kidd and the Pirates Shaking All Over, uh, right. which is Shaka. would later become the Wanda, Wanda Jackson's Shaking yeah, All version. Over. Yeah. Hound Dog Taylor, Give Me Back My Wig, Beck, Devil's Haircut. That's right. Devil. Wow, I forgot about that. Manford Man, My Little Red Book, Superstition by The Kills. You covered that? Yeah. yeah. Dog Eat Dog by ACDC. I know we're about to get into this, but you just mentioned... Wanda Jackson, I would love to hear him cover Fujiyama Mama, even Ooh. though that song is crazy racist. That I would, would love be, Yeah, that. no, he would he would pull it off somehow. <laughs> well, should we get into it, James? Should we get should we talk about our picks? I guess so, Paul. I have hundreds of, of covers I could just go on and on and on and I kind of want to, but yeah, let's get into our picks. Do you wanna go first? Uh yeah. So the way I broke it down, Paul, and, and this mm-hmm. is this is my way of, of figuring this out. You probably had a different way. I chose four songs, early Jack White. Uh, so that would be White Stripes Jack White, your Tours Jack White, your Dead Weather Jack White, and your solo Jack White. Okay. So, so that's that's kind of how I broke it up. In I, w- I was, okay, all right. I was taking this more from an idea that he, we would want him to do these now. Okay. But but I I think between the two of us, we'll, we'll have a pretty good list going here, so. Okay. Okay, so I will go first. Uh, for my White Stripes song, I had, like I said, I, I kind of tried to focus on what he would have covered in his White Stripes days. So I had, you know, blues, punk, friends, bands were the sorts of things that he would cover. Covered a mm-hmm. lot of Delta Bluesmen like Sunhouse and Robert Johnson. So my contenders were This Train Bound for Glory by Big Bill Brunsey. Ooh, wow, Big Bill Brunsey. Another Big Bill Brunsey tune, Pig Meat Strut 
was a okay. was a contender as well. I don't really know him as well as I'd like to. Big Bill. I, I mostly knew him originally from George Harris. Yeah, I know. Me too. Yeah, yeah. Um, you forget we're related. I know. <laughs> the listeners out there don't know that. Yeah, they do. They, um, they do. But yeah, they go do. on. Nighttime is the right time by Mance Lipscomb. Yeah, I was going with some deep cuts, Paul. Yeah, and that one that one seems straight like straight bluesy. A lot of those seem like straight blues. But that's felt a little too obvious, a little too on the nose, and I wanted to go with something a little more Detroit, Mm -hmm. a little more something I could see both Meg and Jack playing on originally. And uh, so my winner was The Damned Don't Cry by the Immortal Lee County Killers. Okay, so I've heard that band name before, and I think it's from... Through Pat Pantano. Through Pat Pantano. That was how I uh, originally heard the name was in the last interview. He mentions it. What's the song? Uh, the song is The Damned Don't Cry. All right, I'm pressing play. Okay. I'll listen to it as you're listening. I can already hear the jack in this, yeah. crush that riff by the way he would make that opening riff sound like great oh yeah and meg would be just pounding on the drums just so like a caveman yeah he would say i mean i could see him doing this with with the boarding house reach band yeah i could see that too yeah oh this is a jack song yeah absolutely sounds like a jack tune i think i think that's part of what this discussion is really about is that he did his songs are so rooted in that lineage, like you say, that when he plays covers that spark that lineage, mm-hmm. they they sound like his song. I don't know, like it, you can you can hear the DNA of his songwriting in some of the songs he chooses to cover. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, I I completely understand. This song had every element basically that I would ex- come to expect from the early music. It had the basic yeah. simple drum beat, a grinding up front guitar that had kind of a, a simple riff that you could really expand into something a little more dramatic. Um, it had the screaming lyrics that he could just kind of belt out. And yeah. that early Jack kind of raspy scream voice would be a welcome sight in this song. I think. Yeah, I, I could see him speeding this one up. Yes, I could see him too. kicking Which this one a, into high gear. He has a, a penchant to do. He, he, t- he tends to speed up a lot of his, uh, his cover tunes. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, this that's a great pick, James. That's really awesome.
nice. All right, well, I'll go next then. So as, as I say, I didn't really divide these into when I think he would do them, although I can share where I think it would have sounded best for him to do it. But my first pick here is White, Whiter Shade of Pale by Procol Harum. Ah, uh, this one. Yeah. So, uh, so this song, I, I picked this one because there's a lot of soul in this one, in, uh, in Whiter Shade of Pale. I think it's got a lot in common with the kinds of Dylan songs he tends to cover. So that was, that went into my thinking with this. Uh, a little background on the song. It was written by, uh, Gary Brooker, Keith Reed, and, um, Matthew Fisher for, as I say, the band Procol Harum came from the, Keith Reed apparently overheard someone telling someone else at a party that they had turned a whiter shade of pale, uh, I guess feeling ill from whatever drugs they had ingested, and uh, the phrase just sort of stuck, which I thought was kind of cute. Um, it was released on May 12, 1967, and it was number one in the UK for six weeks during the Summer of Love, so this thing was a monstrous success for Procol Harum. I love the soul in it, you know, I'm always impressed when white people can really generate like that kind of soul and there's such a there's almost like this Motown quality to the vocal on this which you know often translates into Detroit because you know you know that that Motown sound is linked with that area a lot of times it was white people imitating it as well so I think I think Jack doing this song would be interesting for a couple different reasons but like I think he would I think he could either do it on the piano, which he does sometimes, but I think he'd, he, if he was to shred on this one, it would sound just incredible. Yeah, I could see the spotlight going down with him in a, in a guitar and just busting this out. Or, or maybe him just him. Yeah, him with a spotlight, like one one cover we didn't mention, Apple Blossom Time. Yeah. From the uh, Flat Duo Jets. Well, Flat Duo Jets covered it. It was by somebody else. But... um. You know, sometimes he can really get a lot of power out of his sort of heartfelt vocal and a single instrument. Yeah, this one definitely I can see coming out of the Boarding House Reach era because I think the synthesizer is keying me into that. But I could also see the Tours covering this. Oh, absolutely. There, there's some of that, that wild, like, sort of organ thing. Yeah. Some of that I could hear. And I think it's it's largely Dean Fertitta who would be supplying that, mm-hmm. which... In the dead weather, we get a little bit of that organ, and, and particularly on something like Lazaretto, where Dean is all over it, and sometimes even playing in the band and the live, you know, yeah, uh, versions. I, so anyway, yeah, there's something about the the mustache on the the lead singer here in in Procol Harum uh, that is reminding me of Jack Lawrence, and I could just see Jack Lawrence <laughs> kind of grooving to the bass in this, yeah. And Jack pulls from this era, like this '67 sort of era. I mean, particularly with the Dead Weather. Now that you, you know, now that you mentioned it earlier. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, good pick. Nice pick. So that's whiter shade of pale. Sweet pick. What's your next one, James? What do you got? All right. So I got, uh, we're moving into mid, mid-times Jack. Fast times mid-times, mid-times Jack. Jack. Yeah. We got uh, Rackin' Tours. Jack White is what I've got here. 
Okay. So I tried to think of what the raconteurs would be covering between consolers and Broken Boy Soldiers. What what would they be covering? And they covered ZZ Top at this era in this era of Velvet Underground. Oh, that's right for the MTV Video yes. Awards, right? Yeah. Yeah, and so they were pulling from a lot white, of white light, white heat. Yes, with Jim Jarmusch. So they were pulling from a lot of of that kind of '60s like sound, but kind of rock psychedelia country infusion kind of stuff. So I had some contenders here. Uh, I actually pulled from uh, uh, Children of the Revolution by T-Rex oh, was my first yeah. contender. Uh, That's a good I one. thought that would be a good choice, but I thought T-Rex was a little too... Uh, it's a little glammy for Jack. Yeah. There's not it's a spot lot on of for Brendan. Yeah. It's spot on for Brendan, but I don't know about Jack. I feel like I feel like Jack would look at that and think it was a little contrived. Maybe I don't agree with that. I assessment. mean, Jack I'm, does love top hats, as we can tell by <laughs> Captain Beefheart and other. But um, he doesn't really <laughs> with fantasy, though. You know, like yeah, Mark Bolin is writing space opera novels in his spare time <laughs> with Ringo. So, yeah, that's true. But, though I think he had like a novel series, something like that. He wrote all kinds that, of fantasy fiction. That surprises me not, Paul. <laughs> All the LSD that man took. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My other contender I had here uh, was Sour Cherry by The Kills. I Granted, very different amazing. era. Amazing. You know, I thought maybe that could fit. Didn't seem to fit perfectly, though. Uh, so what I, what I wound up going with was Call the Police by The Oblivions, as covered by The Raconteurs. Okay, so another another song I'm not familiar with. I'm, I'm going to... I'm queuing it up here. And another Detroit-centric kind of thing, or at least that air area, it's uh, it's right off of In the Red Records on the album Desperation. In the Red, we know uh, champions of... In the Red? The Dirt, the dirt Bombs. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's oh, I love it already. And that sounds like the Raconteurs. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's got that chuggy sort of BTO-ish opening... And it's got a little bit of the organ flair in there. It was a good chance for, for Jack and Brendan to duet, I thought, too. Yeah. Oh, man, this sounds like a raconteur song. It really does. This sounds like something off of the second album, but one of those songs that doesn't sound like the rest of the second album. <laughs> yeah. Like this Five on the Five or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's sort of what I... Or, like, Hold Up or something. Yeah, Hold Up, yeah. yeah. One of those ones that doesn't quite fit, you know? <laughs> This is great. I love the album cover here with this <laughs> beehive lady lot- leading over this jukebox. It's really it's a lot of, of the Oblivion's album like. covers are kind of saucy like that. I know. Um, yeah. Where'd you find the Oblivion's? I'll tell you. My the way I went about this was I would search a thing. I I went with my first instinct on cover songs. Yeah. And then I went on Spotify and I went fans also like. And then I just kept going to band, and then go to fans also like on another band, and I just kept okay. daisy chaining right. it until I found a band that had the right sound. Yeah, well, this is great. I love this. I would love to know more about the Oblivions. This is fantastic. 
Yeah, so that's that's my cover number two. I, I didn't right. do a whole lot of research like you did, Paul, but I, I, I oh, no. t- eagerly anticipate your second pick. All right, well, great pick. That's awesome. I want to know more about the Oblivions. I think I'm going to be uh, uh, obtaining more of that music uh, later tonight. My second pick here again, so I'm trying to. I, I'm actually roughly following your template without okay. thinking to do it because I do think that this would have made a great rack and tour song for reasons that will become evident shortly. Okay, but for my second pick, I went with "Junk Bond Traders" by Elliot Smith. Ooh, I can definitely see the racks covering Elliot Smith at some point. figure eight too which is it's all figure eight which i got really excited about when i was putting this list together and ordered it on vinyl Uh, (laughs) so i love so well we'll talk just talk a little bit about the song is written by elliot smith as you say released on figure eight it's an album cut was not a single it's from april 18th 2000 fun fact um frequent jack collaborator autumn DeWild took the album cover shot for figure eight which i didn't know and it pictures uh, smith in front of a mural on sunset boulevard here in la that is regularly graffitied on and then restored by different sets of fans so some (laughs) fans go over there and graffiti we love you elliot smith and then other fans take the time out of their day to go and restore it wow that's crazy the penny lane thing except no one restores the penny (laughs) lane except no one restores it yeah uh this was not a a huge commercial hit it peaked at number 99 on the billboard top 200 number 37 in the uk so a little bit of a bigger song uh there we've talked about elliot smith a little bit on this show but i think elliot smith and and forgive me brendan i don't mean this in a disparaging way i think he's the more realized brendan benson and by that i mean he and brendan have a lot in common but i think maybe brendan strives to achieve more of what elliot smith actually achieves with his music which is that personal connection we talked about that a little bit in the brendan benson episode but that personal brendan's looking to capture that personal feeling but elliot smith does every time they have similar voices too their vocals are are both kind of eerily similar especially on this song i could hear brendan singing this right now off of one mississippi like this is very brendan and the racks could definitely pick this up and, and play this Peas in a pod, those two, yeah. The chord changes, I agree. Everything, 
it was re- it was ringing Brendan to me, and I'm I'm of course thinking of Good to Me, and I'm yeah. thinking, well, the Stripes turned Good to Me into their own thing, so I think Jack would could do something interesting with this, and we don't really get a lot of connection between Jack and Elliot Smith. Really, they're from different eras, like Elliot Smith, Brendan to a lesser degree, Beck from a from the era just before the Stripes, yeah. just before. So you don't really get. A l- so much overlap. You get some, but but, but not so much. So I, I think this song also deals with class struggle. This song in particular, the reason why I chose this one is uh, it, it deals with class struggle in a way that a lot of early Jack stuff did. I'm talking about Big Three Kill My Baby. I'm talking about some of these other tunes about Detroit that, you know, disparage big business and, and, and people who poop on the little guy and all that stuff. Uh, I, so I think it fits in with that, that canon. And... Um, I would just love to hear Jack shred on this tune. I yeah, this could be like he wouldn't take up main vocals on this. Yeah, uh, Brandon would obviously do the main vocals on this, but Jack would be in the back just jamming along, and then come to the bridge of the song, and he would whip out some huge solo, and yeah, that, that would be that'd be something else. Absolutely. So yeah. yeah, it's my second pick, Junk Bond Traders by Elliot Smith. A really good pick, Paul. Love that. What's um, your next one, James? What do you got? So we're getting into uh, some later era Jack White stuff, the dead weather, mm-hmm. where he's looking at psychedelia. The dead weather has, has broadened his horizons. Dean and Allison are showing him things. Whole new world, if you yeah. will. <laughs> so I was going with some really psychedelic 60s stuff, and uh, boy, I went on a journey uh, in my own head, I found a band called Ultimate Spinach, uh, which is <laughs> which is which my you... first my my first two contenders. Paul were both songs by the band Ultimate Spinach. That's amazing. I mean, you you eat that right before you're woken up by the strawberry alarm clock. So there you go. Right, and you yeah. cover it in olive oil. <laughs> James, get, for the for the people who can't see James right now, he just darted his eyes back and forth. Like, you get that? <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> oh, man, I'm going to need some ultimate spinach to get through this. <laughs> the first contender was the Ballad of the Hip Death Goddess by Jesus the Ultimate Christ. Spinach. And oh I, would, I was having it as covered by the dead weather, obviously. It fit, but it didn't fit perfectly. My second contender was Your Head is Reeling by Ultimate Spinach. And th- these songs are very 60s psych. And they, they, this band has a lot of Doors, kind of Morrison vibes, a lot of heavy organ, the Moog stuff. Mm-hmm. Very Riders on the Storm kind of vibes from a lot of this. Yeah. But most of them were a little too funky. And there was kind of that ever-present hippie organ it was a yeah. little too present. Sure. But some of them had a hard-edged kind of rock vibe that might be something Allison might be able to belt out. But my winner wound up being the song Goddess of Death by St. John Green, as covered by the Dead Weather. Man, some deep cuts. <laughs> well, I can already hear the Dead Weather covering this. This Just song the first has three the, seconds of this. <laughs> the plodding, droning organ... This is just a dead weather song. (laughs) Yeah. I could hear, um, once you get to the middle of the song, there's like this screaming monologue, and I could just hear Jack White screaming this monologue. Allison would obviously be doing the the main vocals on this. But uh, but yeah, Paul, St. John Green, there's something else. (laughs) 
They had one album. <laughs> they have one album. It's from 1968. It's good stuff. This is Got good. Off. This is good. I mean, it's 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 shades. I think I know what you're responding to. There's shades of I feel strange on here. Definitely. Yeah. This is okay. great. I love this. I could see Dean just. Oh my God! I got to the. Looking back in tears while the echoes of life faded from our ears. Looking back in tears. We walked into the cold silence. Being careful not to step on those who had passed out there in previous times Or the rotted bones of those who could never return <laughs> uh, Don't get me wrong Imagine Jack Lawrence just bobbing his head like bleary-eyed to this He's so good <laughs> We've talked a little on this show about my, my foray into sunshine pop recently But I, I don't think I've really gotten as far into 60s acid rock that I... I could be doing more is what I'm trying to say. I could be doing more. <laughs> this is great. This band. Yeah. Anyway. Wow. Good pick. Why are we Anyway, that's my Dead Weather cover. Paul, what you got? I got one more here. Uh, this is, I chose three, as I say. And this one's going to seem a little out of left field, but it's actually not okay. when you think about it. Okay. So this one I was thinking of, and I, 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 say I sort of followed your formula a little bit here. This one I'm thinking more in the vein of Boarding House Reach, but I would love to hear a Jack White cover of Make Me Feel by Janelle Monet. So when you listen to the opening of this song, just think Boarding House Reach. Okay. Okay. There's a lot of friendly scratching and squawking going on. There's a lot of squawking. Uh. Yeah. Baby, don't make me spell it out for you. All of the feelings that I got for you can be explained, but I can try for you. Yeah, baby, don't make me spell it out for you. you uh, it's written by Janelle Monet, uh, Julia Michaels, Matthias Larson, Robin Fredrickson, and Justin Tranter. It's the lead single from her third studio effort, Dirty Computer, released on February 22nd, 2018. And uh, it peaked at number 99 on the Billboard Top 200 Singles Charts, but got as high as number 5 on the dance chart. Um, so Janelle Monet, for any of you who don't know out there, I don't know why you wouldn't after the Grammys, but she is a tremendous singer-songwriter in the Prince sort of vein uh, a little bit. Yeah. And this song is just a lot of pure funk. There's some Michael on there. There's some 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 different. It reminds me a lot of Saint Vincent, to be honest. There's some. Well, her and Saint Vincent are friends. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and so they, they are both in the queer lady rock star club together, uh, who dress like space aliens and shred on the guitar. <laughs> but um, you are dead on when you say this is very Prince-like. Like, yeah, well, like, it's Prince-like, but you know what? It's also Boarding House Reach-like, and here's why I say that. It's 
in an, in the age of boarding house reach, there's a quality to this song's sound and production that touches on the palette Jack is attempting to paint with with boarding house reach. Jack is going for that clean, really tight, crisp, almost herky jerky kind of production style, but with that soft overtone. I don't know, describing nonsense actually, but. If that makes sense to anyone, I hope so. And there's also precedent with him in the R&B covers, as we talked about Crazy by Gnarls Barkley. What I would love is for him to do a recent cover of a song. And uh, and in the back of my head, you know, what I was thinking with all of these covers is like that live session where he did the Bowie cover and he did over and over and over. I think it was the Spotify sessions. I'm yeah. thinking like, this sounds like something from that. And I, I could really hear him having fun with this and just kind of shredding a little bit in the middle, and I think Carla would have fun on it. I just think this would be a fun song for him to cover. I'm not going to lie. I think Janelle Monet's doing Boarding House Reach better than Jack is doing Boarding House I know. And that's the way I felt about Janelle Monet and St. Vincent, who are both doing a very similar thing to what Jack is trying to do, but doing it kind of better. <laughs> Dirty Computer, if, if anyone out there hasn't heard Dirty Computer yet, it's a tremendous album. It's so good, the whole thing. So anyway, that is my final pick. Janelle Monet's Make Me Feel. Jack, please cover that song. fantastic choice paul well we're going into to left field territory and i'm gonna join you because i'm going with with future jack going with his solo career uh-huh uh, listening to a lot of hip-hop a lot of rap a lot of pop yep um, as we've mentioned he's covered Narls barkley he's done three dollar hat ice station zebra he's worked with beyonce and tribe called quest he's yes he's in there he's in, he's there. in there my contenders i was gonna go with uh, some 90s hip-hop and okay. here's why i didn't oh I don't think Jack can can pull off that level of rhyme. Like, I don't think he could rap at the level of some of these 90s hip-hop artists. And I don't say that in a disparaging way. I just don't think he has honed his rap skills to that level. He's good at it. Yeah. At least I believe so. I like Ice Station Zebra. Yeah, exactly. Ice Station Zebra, I think, is pushing it, but that's pretty much the level he's capable of. Right. My my first contender was the song Rebirth of Slick, Cool Like That by Diggable Planets. Okay. And Diggable Planets has enough funk to, to kind of keep it alive, and I think Jack could do it. I was, I was struggling to find songs that weren't just straight verse, though. Right. That, that I think Jack could cover. My, my second contender was Other Fish by the, the Far Side. Oh, yeah. But I think that flow might be a challenge for him. But two songs that I think he could take inspiration from, if not possibly cover, bits and pieces of. I don't think he would ever do a full cover. Maybe live, like, 20-second snippet of it before another song. Anyway, my, my winner wound up being something more from the pop realm and a little more in what I think of Jack's solo career typically is, which has a little more flair with the country stuff, with the rock stuff. So I went with the song Sinner's Prayer by Lady Gaga. Whoa. All right. So we were both we were both kind of in that similar vein with pop artists. Yeah. Modern pop artists. All right. Let me... You'll know once you see the album cover, Paul, that this song is definitely more in 
Oh yeah, that kind of country <laughs> realm. <laughs> It's got a Nashville country flair, storytelling flair, like something on consolers might have, but it reminded me, you know, kind of like that Jolene stuff. I could see this oh, as a B-side. This sounds like an Olivia Jean tune, just right out the gate. It's That, that guitar line is Olivia Jean-esque, yeah. I could see this on Blunderbuss, easily. Yes, that's interesting. You know, I just, I never, I always write her off, and I know I should. She's good. I think I, I She's know. Surprisingly I good, every time. <laughs> I gotta get, I gotta listen to more of her. This is good, I like this a lot. I could, yeah, like you're saying, I think this is, this fits into Blunderbuss, but I actually think it fits more into, like, the more electric Blunderbuss, which is Lazaretto, mm. that sort of era. I could see this on a B-side there, maybe. I didn't know if it exactly fit, and it was harder for me to hear than the other three songs. But this album in general by Lady Gaga has similar roots to where Jack's pulling from a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot more I country mean, look, and she... vocal-driven and less the art-pop style. So. Yeah, if I'm, unless I'm mistaken, I think she started out in a Bruce Springsteen cover band, right? I so believe that's, so, yeah. That, that's, that's right by me. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. I like. Yeah, I could see Jack doing this totally. Anyway, that's that's my, my fourth pick. Wow. Yeah, so that's some so good picks, that. James. Let's close it out real quick, Paul. Do you have, if you had to pick one Reach song, one song you didn't necessarily think he'd ever do, and you, this could just be from the back of your head, from an artist you particularly care for or what have you, what would be your Reach song? I'll tell you what I'd love to hear him do. This will be the B-side of the singles. <laughs> it's not really Reach, and I, honestly, I don't know why he hasn't done it yet. Hey, hey, what can I do? Led Zeppelin cover. Ah. I know it's a simple... I know it's a, I know that's almost a gimme because he's covered Led Zeppelin before, but Hey, Hey, What Can I Do is my favorite Led Zeppelin song, and it's honestly very Jack adjacent yeah. <laughs> in its style and its structure, so Hey, Hey, What Can I Do? I think that would be my, my one if Good I had to pick choice. off the top of my head. Yeah. I was going to go with um, Magneto and Titanium Man. Aha! That's wins. a good one. I was purposefully um, kind of, I was purposefully avoiding Beatle covers because I didn't want to yeah <laughs> <laughs> we're a little too close to that to uh, to make it seem plausible uh, he would do a great oh woman oh why or big barn bed can you imagine Jack doing big barn bed man I mean we're both a little close to Red Rose Speedway at this point but I know <laughs> <laughs> well that's that's awesome you mentioned that we had some listener contributions as well oh yeah uh, so I, I put out the call to some of our active listeners specifically our game show group wow there's some good ones on here I'm looking at this list right now yeah. James that, that you put out the call for and there, there's some really good ones on here so I asked for uh, what's one song Jack's never covered that you would love to hear 
as well as what's your favorite cover song by him or his bands and why. Um, Kelly Dergowitz, the first to respond. Tam Tam Davis. Davis. She said that for a cover song that she would really, really love to hear him play that he's never done would be Play That Funky Music White Boy by Wild Cherry on the Boarding House Reach Tour. Such a good pick. It's so good. So Um, good. I could definitely hear that and uh, would love to hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it looks like Vito here has Street Walkin' by Sonny Boy Nelson, which is which is a great pick. I, I'm not super familiar with that song, but that sounds like a lot of fun. Nobody knows street walking woman like I do. Well, there's nobody knows street walking woman like I do. You keep you up all night long, then we'll spend your money too. Me neither, but his second pick, I looked up right after he said it Politicians in My Eyes by the band Death. Yeah. says that uh, he would kill that bass riff on a guitar, uh, and he is so right. That song is perfect. Yeah, looks like uh, Kate McCoy chimed in here with One Night With You by Elvis. I mean, Jack doing Elvis. Well, it doesn't get better than that, so that's a great pick, Kate. Yeah, and she specifically mentions the, the comeback special version. That oh, that comeback sings. special is so good. His vocals are just like butter. A brief shout out to a friend of the show, Richard Buskins, podcast Swinging Through the 60s. Richard did a great episode on the 68 comeback special where they, they interviewed some people who were involved in the special or they played some interviews and just fascinating listening. That, that 68 comeback special, lots to unpack there. <laughs> <laughs> It's a, it's a good special, though. Anyway, uh, Tam Davis also points out that Burn in Love by Elvis would be a great cover. I think that's a fantastic suggestion. Really. Yes. That's great. says that uh, her favorite cover song is Small Faces by the White Stripes. Yeah. And she likes how Meg and Jack approach it together. Yeah, totally. Small 
Rob Janos comes in with a great pick, Back to Black, by Amy Winehouse, which is yep. not all that far off from, you know, Wanda Jackson famously covered You Know I'm No Good. Which had me looking into Jack's connection to Amy Winehouse, because I seem to remember some stuff. There were, like, rumors that she punched somebody at a Jack White concert. Really? And <laughs> there are also, Jack, like, sent an email that got leaked that mentioned Amy Winehouse... That's I remember that. That was a whole thing. Anyway, that just led me on a, a tear into that. Tam Davis brings up that Bang Bang is high on her list for covers. Yeah, we we have a vet here with um, "You Can't Get That Stuff No More" by Tampa Red and "Long Tall Woman" by Big Bill Brunzi. And mm. I know James, you mentioned a couple Big Bill Brunzi tunes, so those are both those are both great picks. As well as uh, "If You See My Rooster" by Memphis Mini. Yeah, it sounds like I've got some listening to do <laughs> if you see my rooster please run him on back home if you see my rooster please run him on back home I have found ways in my basket It was funny, as I put out this call, I was doing my my investigations into songs, and my Big Bill Burnsy songs, I had just finished looking up when Yvette said that, and I was like, oh my god, it's like, it, it makes sense. I mean, he's a he's a, a famous yeah, blues for sure. Interesting coincidence there. Kate says that she would also dig a, uh, a reworked cover of uh, Tina Turner and Brian Adams' song, It's Only Love. Which Brian is, Adams... The not safe Brian, one. Brian, yes. Yeah. The not <laughs> gross one. She also brings up I'll Be Seeing You by Frank Sinatra. She'd love to hear Jack sing that. So, yeah, good songs, good choices. Thank you all for participating. What say we kick it to our third person this week, James? Yeah, let's kick it to our third person this week, Paul. like to welcome back to the show once again mark bauer mark is the junior booking agent for the white stripes the raconteurs the dead weather all sorts of bands from throughout jack white history and uh, mark last joined us on the stocking stuffer episode last december where he uh, answered some questions for us but today we've got him back for a q a style interview so we're gonna read him a question that was sent in from you the listener and he's going to answer it here and then we're gonna welcome mark back on a future episode to talk a little bit more with us but for now uh, we're gonna read some of these questions here and have mark sort of take it away so we'll start with this one mark do you have any involvement with a band's tour dates after the tour is booked you mentioned being at south by southwest was that because you were there working for the racks in some specific capacity or were you more there for promotion of the booking agency at the festival how does that sort of work after a band's tour dates are booked there's still a lot involved say you know jack white's tour using this past summer's example uh august 6th through the end of the the tour was one leg as we refer to them, legs of the tour. So that leg of the tour might have been booked as far back as January of that year, knowing that the plan was to play all these different markets at whatever point of time the schedule allowed. If that was the case, then we would say, okay, well, the show's in August. Let's go up with this on sale in May. 
So let's make the first announcement of the show around April, which would be roughly when they Jack was doing the first set of shows, you know, when the first bunch of uh, dates played. So it would have been perfect coordination as the first set of shows were playing for them to make the announcement of the second leg of shows for him in the United States. And that's one of the things that is done as a post-booking situation. You know, you're arranging the the timing of the on-sale, both the announcement, the coordination with the radio stations, the print ads, the online ads, all that sort of visual stuff that you see that makes you you know, go and buy the tickets. That's one big part of it. In addition to that, you know, it's a little bit different now because on sales are set up through a lot of fan sites and credit cards and point systems. And there's so many different ways to get tickets that it's changed in the last decade since I was involved. But Let's just say we dealt with on-sale stuff as well. So the date that a concert went on sale, say the New York City show, Madison Square Garden, The White Stripes, goes on sale Saturday morning at 10 a.m. At five minutes after 10, I would get a call from the promoter, and they would tell me that they have sold 10,723 tickets for a gross of however many dollars. Uh, If that was the only show that I had, that would be nice and simple. And then they would call me back every 20 minutes, or if the show sold out, when the show sold out. For all the shows that were going on sale that day, I would have these calls coming in for many, many venues, for many shows. Um, A big part of the reason of this is sometimes you see, you know, by overwhelming demand, the second show added... Yeah, that's planned in advance. We book a show with a second show already in place. If the on-sale demonstrates the need, we're able to automatically say, okay, turn on that second show, and it goes on. And that's part of one of the acts that happens after the tour date is booked. We also issue contracts So those contracts are not just the agreement on the date. It specifies the terms for performance. It specifies the rider requirements. All these things, you know, more than just the, oh, I don't want bananas at the show, or here's how to make my guacamole, as shown up in the press. The rider requirements are about the tech needs that the band has a lot of the time, as well as, you know, food allergens and stuff that are sensitive to the the crew. They want to make sure that everyone that works for the band and for the show is able to put their best into it. That's why the rider is so issued and specific. And so chasing contracts, another task that is post the tour booking and then with the contract chasing is also getting the deposit because you know the promoters are making money off of the show selling tickets in advance and that money is sitting in their accounts earning them interest why should they just be sitting on money earning interest you know we should have some sitting in an escrow account so that the you know band is you know guaranteed money for the show So that's another situation that happens after the tour is booked, but it's still actual work that is related to the tour dates 
you continue with those tick accounts because sometimes shows need additional presses. You know, oh, Minnesota's only doing 60% business, whereas everything else around it in the Midwest right now is at a 75% capacity. What can we do to bolster that market? And so you throw in a couple of extra tickets to the local radio station or throw in a fly-in contestant giveaway so a winner from Minneapolis gets to go to Vegas or some big festival performance or something like that. So it drives more plays of the artist in the market and that inspires more people to buy the ticket because the more you hear it, the more it becomes familiar. Once it becomes familiar, it becomes something that you want to be part of. That's why the radio plays the same stuff over and over again. Similarity breeds uh, happiness. There are some other stuff, you know, little small things, you know, making sure that certain advertisements are within the requirements. Sometimes you can't have certain phrasing, you know, the rack and tours featuring Jack White of the White Stripes used to be something we would look out for because sometimes, you know, if tickets weren't selling well, they would try to bolster it by using certain phrases that in our contracts were prohibited. So keeping a visual, which has become a little bit easier now thanks to Google and people being on the ground and Facebook and social media, you're able to police those sort of things a little bit better, for lack of a better word. Going to South by Southwest, well, that was not just Rack and Tour specific. I was there as a representative of my agency, which, A, we have a showcase of our own where we put on as many of our bands as possible. Sometimes it was a one-day event. Sometimes we had it every day of the festival. We would have our own bands playing actual showcases at night. We would have parties. The various sponsors would be throwing. So there'd be plenty of events that we would have to, you know, attend to see our clients or press flesh and meet people because South by Southwest is one of the largest global music meetings, basically, because every band is coming to play there. They're from all over the world, so you have the chance to meet promoters from all corners of the world, as well as managers, bands, labels, and make all sorts of contacts that will last for a long, long time. So it's not just that you're going there specifically for one band or for being an agent. A bigger part of it is networking and meeting people, a lot of the people you meet may not immediately have any bearing on work that you do, but 10 years down the line, you may have a podcast, they may have a podcast, the, you know, the world changes a million times every day, so it's amazing to see where everything is, and having those contacts, I mean, we're better every day for everything that we know. So why would we limit ourselves? Okay, this one comes to us from Twitter. Mark, as someone who was on the ground floor of the Tours, we'd like to know what you thought of the new Tours songs. And are they uh, growing on you? Are you are you into them? I am a giant Tours fan. They were one of my favorites from the start because I loved the Greenhorns. I loved Jack. I loved Brendan, all as individual entities. And for them to come together 
was the Traveling Wilburys of Garage Rock for me. So I was excited as someone that worked with them, but then as, you know, just as a fan as well, these new songs, there was nowhere to grow. They were good rock songs right off the bat. I don't think that there's a bad Rackendor song. So I love the songs. Is that, what you, is that what you want me to tell you? Is that what you want me to tell you? I love them. I unabashedly love them. Next up here, can you tell us a little bit more about this rule that some festivals have about bands or musicians being restricted from playing other venues in the vicinity? This is a big deal mainly because, you know, to perform at a festival, an artist that would normally make, these are all hypothetical numbers, I want to specify that, these do not reflect or apply to anything Jack White has been in or any of the projects I worked with with Jack White. The White Stripes, The Raconteurs, Dead Weather, Jack Solo, or any of his connected things. These are just hypothetical numbers. Let's say an artist makes $100,000 for a performance in Chicago. If they're invited to perform in Chicago for a festival, their performance fee for said festival is going to be much more than their headlining performance fee. Because a headlining fee is based on selling certain percentage of the house. Maybe it's a sellout offer. Maybe it's an offer based on 85% of the capacity. Whatever it is, there's always a possibility that the band can make a little bit more. But with a festival offer, the offer is typically two and a half times to three times the normal headlining rate. And the radius and the limitation that the artists are given is a 90-day limitation in either direction before or after the festival with radiuses beginning at 100 and up to 300 miles. So that can you know eliminate uh, giant swatches of country. So for a band to get a guarantee, okay, let's go and play Bonnaroo. Bonnaroo now gives you a radius clause that says you can't play anywhere in 150 miles, that means that you can't play Muscle Shoals or Shaky Knees because they're just within that circle. So a big part of that is the reason why, because if every festival had the same lineup, who would go to any festival? Like, what would make them unique? So the festival's limit who can play where because it helps draw tickets to their festivals 
there are loopholes, there are back doors, there are special circumstances in all of these situations. You know, if a festival is something that sells out super quick, they may give the artist permission to play another show in the area. With the White Stripes, we did severe underplays at Glass House in Pomona, close to Coachella, which... If you're familiar, it's an 800-capacity room. When the White Stripes were headlining at Coachella, they played this super under, 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 under play, and then the next night headlined to thousands and thousands and thousands of people. So the venue also has connections with the people that promote the festival, so there's those things as well. So that's a big issue that is there, you know, they don't want you to draw away from them. Then again, if you're not the headliner, if you're way down at the bottom of the bill, not to say that, you know, bottom of the bill bands are bad. Those are just bands that are new or bands that are either a favor to an agent or to one of the headliners or one of the managers working on the show. You know, they're getting their first time out and they're definitely getting an audience but the band you've never heard of is not drawing a thousand dollar ticket crowd they're not really a conflict it's only when you get to something where people are gonna say well if i go to the festival or i stay home and see these two bands on their own headlining at the arena in town i save half as much money and i don't waste all this time in the sun and all the expenses and so it's basically a system that's set up so that the festival guarantees you attend the festival instead of going to see something else uh, looks like we got two more here. There's been some talk in the fan community about many of Jack's shows on the Boarding House Reach tour this year having poor sales. Can you comment on that perception and the decisions behind booking some of the larger venues that he played? Regarding the Boarding House Reach tour, I mean, Jack made a conscientious decision to not play major markets. So obviously that's going to have an impact on the sales if you don't play Chicago, you're not going to do Chicago numbers. If you play, you know, in the middle of Nebraska, you're going to do Nebraska numbers. But because Jack is Jack, he can set out and do something like that. Pick that he wants to play for his fan base and say, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to play, you know, Detroit, which is home. I'm going to play... Dallas and Houston and Austin because you know those are the big three in Texas but then I'm going to just do a bunch of festivals and a bunch of these weird markets you know these smaller upstate New York Ohio Rust Belt markets where there's you know smaller baseball stadiums and stuff like that that sort of shows Jack's other side you know like you know he loves baseball, he's got the war stick investment, he's got all these side things going for it. So, you know, the fact that he played Cooperstown, the Hall of Fame, baseball, all that sort of stuff, I mean, that was more for Jack than it was for anyone else. He picked to play places that he wanted to play. It, You know, the perception that came off of that is what it was. The shows were great. The album was what it was, and Jack's performances always knock it out of the park. Forgive me and save me from myself. 
matters that the audience that came is there for you but also a lot of these markets you know you gain audience because people are unfamiliar with the artist but they're just happy that there's someone that came it may not be ideal for the artist but maybe there was a group on and you got two tickets for the price of one for some people you may not have known who the artist was beforehand but you walked out a fan probably a lot of those situations exist these days again not the worst thing in the world. I mean, do the artists feel great about not selling out? Probably not. But do they feel better about having more people in the venue? A hundred percent. There's that famous, famous anecdote from when Elvis toured. His manager was like, okay, this is excellent. We got a, a sellout show. When one of the venues specifically in Florida said the show sold out so quickly, I want to add an afternoon show. And they said, okay, but you know, Elvis doesn't like to see empty seats. And they sold out the show and then the tour happens and they get to the venue and the manager tells them, I'm sorry, but only half of the venue is sold. And he says, well, we can't allow that to, you know, we can't allow Elvis to see empty seats. And he winds up uh, finding the local prison and having the warden allow the prisoners to remove seats from the arena, take them outside, and therefore Elvis performed with half the seats in the venue, looked like a packed house, then they replaced the seats, and he played in the night. Prisoners got to watch Elvis perform, the wardens all got to come back at night. You know, it's one of those anecdotes that have existed for a long time, but... You know, for anyone out there that's listening to these stories with interest and delight, look up Jerry Weintraub. Find his book. They made a movie about him, but he is a film producer, a talent agent. He's the guy that made most of the industry what it was. He convinced Elvis to tour. He convinced Frank Sinatra to perform. He convinced... So many artists that never would have ever performed to perform. His stories are just insane. His life is insane. And anyone that wants to know anything about how it is to be a manager, a concert promoter, an agent, a producer, anything regarding the music industry or the film industry is definitely worth chasing. His book is called When I Stop Talking, You'll Know I'm Dead. Useful Stories from a Persuasive Man. I cannot, cannot, cannot give it enough praise. It still is my Bible. Everything I know from and how I learned and adapted and made myself in Jerry's image. Lastly here, can you tell us anything about 
Jack or the Racks 2019 bookings at all? Well, I know he's playing Nashville on April 1st. Beyond that, I don't know anything more. If I did, I probably wouldn't be allowed to tell anyone anything anyway. We'd like to thank Mark once again for joining us on the show today in this Q&A segment. We will be back with a further interview from Mark in a future episode, but until then, we're going to throw it on back to the show. Until next time, Candy Cane Children, this has been Mark taking your questions. Hopefully the third men have me on the third time, and I can answer some more of your questions. Cheers, guys. James, we've learned so much about covers. Cover to cover. Cover to cover. We, we learned it all. Yeah, lots of great stuff this episode. Thank you for the very fun topic. That was a blast. We would like to cover a couple thank yous to some new mm. listeners to the show. Uh, we'll do an all-Twitter edition here. We have Lisa Hyatt. Thank you, Lisa. You know, Stu Cat points out that we haven't given him a shout-out in a while, and so thank you, Stu, because you drop us a line all the time. That's at StuCat48 on Twitter, and uh, Stu, you're, you're always there talking to us and, and giving us some cool feedback, so thank you for doing that. Also, at Dylan Ryan Wild or Dylan Ryan, that's really cool. We, we love hearing from you as well, so thank you, you guys. Yeah. We also have some more people who are following us. Abel R., thank you, Abel, and we have uh, Jojo Stella, we have Ken Crawford, Carissa Bruno, WB Shane, we talk about sometimes, who, as I mentioned earlier, called us out on uh, on some things. Cody Wolf, thank you, Cody. We have Peculiar Pretzelman, Ooh. who retweeted us a couple times. Uh, I like the Pretzelman. Yeah. So uh, thank you, everybody. We appreciate all our people who interact with us online, including some regulars, James. We have some regulars. Yeah. Such as David Poe. Poe, 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 Poe. My, oh, me, it's me, oh, my. We have Eric Andrew Dodson over there. Ha ha! It's LOL 2.0. We have Melissa Swanka, who is part of the Melistocracy, who we still have not heard the origin of that as of this episode. I (laughs) promise you it's coming. I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, Thank you, guys. And if you'd like to be a regular listener, you can find us on Facebook and do that. Facebook.com slash Third Men. Yeah, James. Facebook is a wonderful place to go and be tracked by the government of Russia. Or the Gremlin, as they like to call it. You can go to Facebook.com slash Third Men. You can find us on Twitter at Third Men Cast. <laughs> you can find us on Tumblr, thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. You can find us on our WordPress page, thethirdmen.wordpress.com. You could send us an email to thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. You could find us on Pippa, who hosts the show, as Ryan Brady of the Take It Away podcast often says, Pippa on down to Pippa. We are powered by Pippa. Mm. Pippa, if you're thinking about starting a podcast, they're great. We have had nothing but great experiences with Pippa, so check them out. You can search us on YouTube, where James does a lot of great hilarious animations and uh we also have some other stuff up there some shows as i mentioned last episode we did do a uh, a visual version of the at mig interview the after the money is gone interview because they uh, their debut album wishes just came out pressed on third man pressing so we're very proud of that and so check that out and you can also please rate review and subscribe on itunes if you do that and somehow in your review, in your five-star review, work in the word posers, we will send you some free stuff. We've got some different free swag over here, and we're going to send it out to yeah. anyone who leaves us a five-star review, incorporating the word posers into it. Send us a screenshot to our email, thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com, and we will send you some free stuff. 
Yeah. And if you have any listener questions, feel free to send us those as well through our email or whatever means is easiest for you. Carrier Pigeon. Carrier Pigeon. Love it. And visit our merch shop. That's bit.ly slash third men merch. Yeah. yeah, there you go. We have some merch up there and you can support our show and keep the lights on. We don't profit off of this, but, you know, podcasting is expensive. So any help would be appreciated you are personally driving us all into the poor house yeah and i'm not even sure poor houses exist anymore so where are we going well it's a poor house p-o-u-r-h-a-u-s it's a it's a beer garden paul they're driving us to this nice beer garden that would james that would explain how drunk i am right now (laughs) (laughs) we'd also like to thank sam kubert and tom valenti for the help with their theme song we're the third men as well as susanna roundtree for the beautiful intros and outros of our program and paul i think that'll do it well james that will do it and until next episode i will be looking for a home covered in a warm blanket of music by songs Mm. you found in spotify (laughs) (laughs) and i will be looking for a home with ultimate spinach to blanket me uh, cover to cover. See you next time. Bye. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. the dead skin, feel the cold lips, and know the warmth of the hip-death goddess. Uh, she is entering a phase where you can't put her down. Have you tried a suplex? <laughs> I'm sorry, is that George Bush on your chair? Who is that? Chef. Oh, this... <laughs> <laughs> this is oh it's a it's a Han Solo Han Solo frozen in carbonite yeah I keep a the George sl- W. Bush blanket close to me at all times <laughs> slowly pressing his face into your chair <laughs> like Ace Ventura coming out of a rhinoceros' ass I think we are a type to people he didn't do anything nasty to any women did he he's Not still yet. good right uh, he's still good maybe he's, he's still good it's called Four Freedoms Whiskey, but it's Canadian. Do they have freedom in Canada? Four of them. Big infusion kind of stuff. Echo just, just umbrage with that. Um, Alexa, shut up. Right? That'd be pretty yeah, good, wouldn't it? That would be um, worthy of a t-shirt on a 24-hour t-shirt website. Phil, James, that one's yours. You can have it. I won't, but you can have James it. James doesn't want it. Like Chef Pierre's <laughs> peanut bowl. James does not want it. Sorry, I haven't talked this long in days. Um, no, that's okay. I gotta get back to the baby anyway, so... Um... <coughs> oh, boy. You want me to handle it? <laughs> yes, please. Um, yeah, and if you... Uh, yeah, oh, man, I forgot how to end the show. 
<laughs> My God, it's nothing but carrots and peyote. Hmm. Damn long hairs never learned, Chief.